This is the Edify Podcast for the Servant. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Season 3 of Edify for the Servant. If you have been on here with us before, you've seen that we've discussed the work of the preacher. We've talked about relationships with our elders. We've talked about uh, what it means to actually shepherd the flock of God. What does it mean to exposit, to exegete, not to eisegete, all those sorts of things. We're going to be shifting gears this new season uh, to go from more of the preaching to more of the ministry. Uh, your preaching will go much further the more that you're able to minister, the more that you're able to have bedside manners. Uh, my time at the Memphis School of Preaching, Barry Grider taught us our homiletics, the preacher and his work. What does it look like to be an actual minister? See, we can be very great at the book, chapter, and verse, and we can be so sound in giving people the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we can be so great and so articulate and and proof text our truth out there to preach the doctrine of Jesus as we know it. But outside of the pulpit, what are we like? What are our homes like? How do we actually minister to people? It's been my experience that we do very great in preaching the truth and and, be, and doing a, a proclamation of the truth. But how do we actually minister to people? I've seen grief classes go, not necessarily a way to people to grieve and to understand and uh, to communicate with one another, but really just to become a hall class of lectures where we talk about grief and we just all we do is just continue to bark orders to people or we, or we lay the same verses out there for people who are going through grief. And really what they need is an avenue, an avenue to listen, an avenue to uh, to breathe, an avenue to find commonality with other brothers and sisters. But see, that's where community gets gross. It gets uh, icky. It gets dirty uh, and it and becomes uncomfortable. What I want to do this this season is shift the gears to actual ministry. Uh, some of the greatest ministers that I know in my life uh, have have impacted their congregations more uh, than we will ever know. They don't necessarily just sling seeds just by the pulpit, but they actually serve and minister the people. Uh, we're going to bring up a few of those this season. I'm going to highlight a few folks that I know, bring them out, call them out by name, uh, because I need you to pray for them as they serve and minister, and I need we, you, and I need to mimic them, uh, mimitase. We need to, like a like a, someone who mocks what they do, we are to imitate Christ, yes, but Paul said to imitate him as he himself imitates Christ. There's people in our walk who do a great job in ministry. I want to bring them on to the show this season and talk about different things, different ways that they minister. How, how is it that they actually do the work of an evangelist? See, not just a preacher, but an evangelist. So get ready this season. I'm thankful that you're here. We're going to discuss a host of topics. And so may God be with us in how we minister uh, to the brotherhood. No one can help or hurt a child like a parent can. Preacher, if you're married and you have children, this episode, episode one, is for you. I want to talk about discipleship in the home, actually ministering to your home, not preaching from the pulpit, but ministering to your home. This episode, the first one's just going to be me. I'm going to talk about this. Uh, I'm a father, and so this is something that's near and dear to me personally. You know, parents are powerful, absolutely. The word father in our society is the most influential role. If you don't, if you don't, know that. If you're not aware of that, just go to your local jail and take a poll. Ask all of those inmates, where is your father? You're going to find out that most of them do not either, they either do not know where dad is at, or dad is living with his other family somewhere else, or dad is in another state doing something else other than being a father. 
being a parent is one of the highest gracious, <laughs> let's call it an honor, most, um, what's the word, immense weight, um, gravitas, responsibility. If you're blessed enough to have somebody who calls you father, as you are a preacher, uh, not reverential father, as some of our religious friends do, but the idea of that you are a father to a physical human being, whether this is your own biological child or you have adopted this child, you are their father, you are dad. You need to embrace that title with great um, trepidation, but also with enthusiasm. You you and I are in a wonderful relationship with a, an arrow that God has placed in our quiver. And so the role that you hold as a parent uh, is one that's commissioned by God himself. And you think, well, Jack, I'm listening to this, but I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a male. I'm a female. I'm a mother. The same thing applies to you, mama. So if you are listening to this and you are a female, these are some things in, that, that you need to, um, you need to mimic. Absolutely. Uh, but you weren't made and wired the same way that a male is. And so if you're listening to this and you are a mother, uh, give this episode to your husband. We're going to be talking about fatherhood. And if you're listening to this and you are uh, not married and you're looking for somebody who, to be a father to your children, things in this episode are, are going to be the tools that this man is going to need in order to father children. And it's something that he needs to have in his mind, whether you have biological children or you adopt children. But anyway, the, the role that you hold as a father, is one that is commissioned by God himself. It is not an accident. Uh, you don't have children by accident, okay? Just the physical process is not an accident. You 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 engage in a process that brings about the fruition of a child, okay? It's not an accident. I hear people say, oh, that was the accident child. Well, there was nothing accidental about it. You knew what you were doing. But in reality, whoever your children are, whether they are born to you or they are brought into your family, God has knowingly chosen you providentially to train and care for them. They have been brought under your purview. They have been brought under your family shepherding. God has has done this, and, and what he is teaching you is that you, Jake, raise this child stone that you have in your life uh, as if it was me raising him. Okay, so... If you're a parent, you're automatically in the position uh, to make a disciple, to make a follower of Jesus. Uh, and a disciple maker is not, um, as some people may believe, <laughs> uh, reserved for so-called super Christians or elite Christians. Every Everybody in the pew today, in the pew and in the pulpit that is, is called father and dad, uh, this is your purpose. This is your purpose in your home. Um, there's an old, there's a book called His Needs, Her Needs. Uh, I think the guy who wrote it, his last name is Farley. But anyway, in this book, he talks about love deposits and that the husband and wife, they need to make constant deposits in this love bank and that they are to uh, constantly give to the sake of love and give to their relationship because there's going to come a rainy Tuesday morning where one or the other is going to make a withdrawal. They're going to do something or say something that makes a withdrawal from the love bank. Well, if you have constantly made love deposits in a relationship with a husband and wife, then when a person goes to make a withdrawal, and that's a painful withdrawal, by the way, they stub their toe, they look at you, they blame you, they do whatever, they they talk ugly to you or, or, or whatever. They, they give you the silent treatment, they pull away from you for three days, and they make a withdrawal. That's a painful thing. 
But if there are lots and lots and lots of other deposits, it doesn't hit an effect as much as it would if there were no deposits. You're not in the red, so to speak. You and I need to make, as fathers, eternal deposits in our children. Your faith is more fluential than you think. Your family is the primary instrument, preacher, and environment for discipleship in the life of your child. And you are called father, and you and God has called you to this in life to give to give the discipleship of your home your unique best. Your child is not just um, it's not just your, your your protege. He's not just someone, or she's not just someone who has just been um, placed there accidentally. He or she is is your absolute. Uh, obligation to disciple. Everything that you have learned about following Jesus Christ is to be passed on and pressed into your child to the very best of your ability. Well, well, let's ask this question. What is family discipleship? See, it's been different for everybody. I remember growing up as, as a kid, mama used to make us sit down and write scripture, memorize scripture. But I remember my dad, we would be going to a ball field or we'd be going to a fishing hole or wherever it may be, and we would have these rolling conversations about things of the church or problems that somebody is dealing with. And of course he would remove their names, but he would say, Well, Jake, how do you how do you feel about this? What do you think about this? What would you do in this situation? And and you need to realize that people are hurting and that one day you're gonna have to help them. And I'm thinking, listen, I'm eight years old, old man. I don't know anything about this stuff. But what he was doing was he was discipling me. He was shaping and molding my heart. And becoming aware to the idea that I'm going to minister to people one day. Family discipleship is leading your home by doing whatever you can, wherever you can. And the purpose is, is to help your 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 family become friends and followers of Jesus Christ. Not just followers, but friends. So you, you can raise, preacher, your children to follow Jesus in your home, and you, you use the slogan, now while you're in my home, you're going to do this. And sometimes there's there's places where you have to say that. I understand that. God gives us commands when we do not affectionately uh, reach after him. But you have to try your level best, number one, by your personal example and your devotion to the friendship of your children to help them understand that they are to become friends of Jesus Christ. Christians not only you know, ought to disciple, they must disciple if they're going to truly follow Christ. You are a soul winner, not just a preacher. You cannot be a Christian family if you are not a disciple-making family, because your family can't truly follow Christ if you are not doing what Christ has commanded. Um, Let's see, Howard Hendricks, he said, a Christian home is more than a house full of Christian people. Okay? Spurgeon said, but once let the family altar be forsaken and let parents forget the natural duty of ordering their households before the Lord, and you may guard the church as you will, your labor will be in vain. You have cast down her hedges. The bear out of the wood shall waste her, and you have taken away the tower of the flock, and when the wolf comes, he will find the sheep an easy prey. Christian parents, here's what he's saying to them. With all of my heart, would I say to you, do not sin against the child by your ill example or by your negligence as to his salvation, but seek the Holy Spirit that to your offspring you may fully discharge the solemn duties which provide and grace, which providence and grace rather have thrown upon you. 
I have to have the Holy Spirit do this for me in order for it to be God-honoring. The Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. That the Holy Spirit bears these fruits in me, and I am to God-honoring, God-glorifying, bear these fruits in my children as much as I can. And God gets the glory through Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, which comes from Luke 8, 11, the seed which has been implanted, and 1 Peter 1, 22 through 23, by our obedience of the truth, uh, we have been born again to a living hope by the word, that imperishable seed. So discipleship is both what we heard Jesus command and what we saw Jesus doing. Daddy, preacher, discipleship is essential to both the message and the method of following Christ. You must uh, preach Jesus in your home, and you must you must be the example of Jesus in your home. This is the way that this is carried out effectively. So let me say that again. What you hear Jesus say, you must say. What you saw Jesus doing, you must do in your home. This was not intended, Jesus' discipleship, to be unique. It was prototypical. He invited people to follow and live alongside him so that they may lead others in like manner. He could have started a formal training school, absolutely. But what does he do? He built his training around time in his presence, and he exercised his trust in the Father. He practiced relentless love for all the people, and he carried out his mission with his disciples. The Great Commission is not for some place around the world when you get on on a plane, raise six grand, and go over there and do it. Your mission, Great Commission field, first begins with your soul and then your home. To disciple your family, just as Jesus discipled his 12, think less of your children as students in your home university and think about those sweet, precious, innocent lives as apprentices that have been invited to study and exercise the way of God the, the what they see and the way of God they see in you and hear about from you. When your kids ask questions, think of ways that you might give them an invitation for an answer, just like Jesus did in John one thirty nine by saying, well, come on, and you'll see. You are, here's the truth, here's the bold truth, you are perpetually discipling your children, whether you're doing that willful in the grace of God, or you're doing that by omission in the work of the flesh. Children are watching, and they are listening, and they are listening to you as they form their impressions of the world, of faith, and of what it means to actually be an adult, a Christian adult. See, a Christian parent is going to take that influence, and they're going to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. See, when I'm dealing with Stone, I want him to know I'm not running the home the way that I see fit. I'm running the home in the grace, in the love, in the discipline, in the the nurturing that God has raised me. And therefore, my home has been dedicated and given to God. I mean, you see parents go forward and they take their, their sweet children and they want to dedicate their children publicly in front of the church. They want the elders to pray for them. And I know some folks that get all heemie-jimmy about that and say, well, that looks like the, the denominations around us. Okay, well, we would do well to understand that there's some public accountability that we have with one another and that we seek the prayers of one another, and especially the shepherds of the flock over which our souls are under or under which our souls are. We would do well to, to mimic that, whether we go forward or not, whether we just meet with the elders or not, whether we get an accountability group or not. We, we need to be about that. 
because in some ways it does take a village because your children aren't just seeing your household. They're seeing others. Good family discipleship is intentional, fellas, and it's consistent. It's consistent with a clear goal. Help your kids be conformed to the image of Christ. Okay, well, what's, what, what family discipleship is not? Let's kind of shift the gears and go down that road. It's not this free-form spiritual exploration uh, where they just, good luck, hey, you know where we are, wish you all the best. If you have any questions, let me know. Okay, God, God has laid out in his word without yielding to the contrary opinions of the world. And he's not apologizing for these things. And these are going to be things that are, go that are going to be potential offenses to the soul of your child. Think about this. Your child is going to need to be broken before they come to Jesus. They're going to need to be hurting, spiritually speaking, before they can uh, to, to receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. In order to become his children, they've got to first be broken in this world. They've, they've got to be sinful in this world. We can't baptize babies for that purpose. There has to be a willingness to understand, okay, I do not want this life that this world offers. I absolutely um, want this life that God offers. Okay, well, to go from that, that point A and point B, or to, to come to that realization you're going to have to help your children see that there is a standard by which they must live. There is a way that is right and cannot be wrong. They have to understand that. And you and I have an obligation to our children to give those things to them. Why? Because God gives those things to us. To not tell your kids what is true is the opposite of loving. Let me stress that. To not tell your kids what is true is the opposite of loving. Here we are placed as individuals that are trying to help this next group of human beings navigate through the perilous journey of life, through temptation and lies and malicious, malicious information, and people are going to abuse you. Do not set your children adrift in the desert of this world and cross your fingers that they find that narrow path <laughs> to the soul's oasis of eternity. Don't do that. Family discipleship is not using the Word of God, let's notice this, to get your way, okay? Family discipleship is not using the Word of God to get your way. You're not trying to build little role models so that you are not embarrassed in the church and in this world. As a preacher, how many times do we feel as though that we are under the looking glass? Okay, that's that can be true for some of us. For some of us, we live in a place where the brethren are, they walk in a way that drives us absolutely nuts, okay? I know of one preacher who was at home and, and his wife, and they lived in the, quote, uh, preacher's house that the church, you know, owned, all right? And one Sunday morning before worship is, is getting started, uh, the preacher is at the at the sink. He's got his bowl of cereal. He's standing in his um, dress shirt that's just been pressed by his wife, who is in her gown, and he is in his boxers and this shirt that that she has just pressed. Neither one of them are, are properly dressed. But what do you, what do you know? Somebody who has a key, uh, an elder's wife, comes to the door, unlocks the door, and walks into their house. 
and begins to have a conversation with them when they are not modest by any stretch of the means. Okay, there are some people that are just as invasive with your personal life as that physical situation. Okay, you want to just... <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save my remarks for the sake of, of uh, patience with ignorant people. But anyway, you think about that. Your life is circumspect in some ways. There are people who are looking at you, but here's the reality. You need to forget that. And, and if your wife is concerned about that or your children are concerned about that, help them forget that if you serve in the role of ministry. Forget that. We're not here for other people to gawk at us. We don't behave uh, so that other people will see how good we are. No, no, no. We're not here for that. We're here to give honor and glory to God as as Christians. And so by that, we can serve as, as an example. But that's not, that's not why we do what we do. You don't get your children to obey the Bible so that they won't embarrass you and so that you can keep your job. If that's the reason, then, then your, your discipleship is for your own glory, okay? Don't do that. Your children, are, they need to be just as much of a heathen as the other kids in the pew. And I say that tongue-in-cheek. But you need to understand that. I see some preachers, and they'll isolate their families. They'll pull their children away from other kids in the youth group. They'll put their children away, or they'll homeschool their children, or or they won't get their kids involved. And, and they, they put their family in a bubble, and they wonder why that their family does not connect or click with the group, or it doesn't. they feel like that they're just a tool that the church is using. Well, you're not letting your family integrate. You're not letting your children scuff their knees and get into the same brawls as the other kids, okay? There, there needs to be some commonality there. You don't need to be this elite group of people uh, that, that doesn't know how to live in the church, doesn't know how to live in the world. Um, that's we need, we need to understand that. Sometimes we have painted ourselves into a corner by isolating our families for the sake of our personal gain or that we just don't want to deal with that or we just don't want to lose our job. And so we've got to remove our family from any kind of temptation. Now that's, that's not doing anybody any favors. If anything, it brings more failures to the table. There are more children who resent their families for pulling them away from, from a life uh, that isn't sinful but they they tamp the dirt too tight, too tight so much that the children can't even grow. Now, that's not discipleship. Discipleship is true, uh, true uh, affirmation, true words. You help them understand how the world is. You let them live in this world in a physical sense. You let them experience things the way that the world experiences them. Is that is that scary? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. And, and, and listen, I'm not saying throw your children to the wolves. I hope you understand that. And I hope you've been listening long enough to understand that. I'm not talking about that. But I'm just saying let your children have a normal life like the rest of the kids there at the local congregation where you are. Help, help them to see what faith actually looks like in practice. You're not trying to get them to be still. You're not trying to get them to behave. Here's the thing, and this, this applies in your preaching as much as it does in your personal home discipleship. Using discipleship, it's not using the threat of God's displeasure in order to get your kids to be quiet or to be still or to stop bothering each other. Behavior manipulation is driven by fear, okay? But obedience to God is driven by sincere love and gratitude, okay? It's the, it's the love of Christ that compels us. It's not that my kids need to behave so that I'm not embarrassed on Sunday morning. I know of one preacher who said that he was having a tryout 
<laughs> at a congregation. He now has been preaching there for several, several years. But he said the day of his tryout, he told his children, he said, do not embarrass me. <laughs> don't act up in church. Don't don't be idiots today, please. Of, of any day, do it any other day except this day. I'm trying to land this J-O-B. Okay. Well, the preacher gets up there, and uh, as it is, they've had singing, they've had prayer, they've had their contribution, they've had the Lord's Supper, and they, by custom, have the sermon at the end of the worship service. And the preacher said that as he looked out into the crowd, he's preaching, and he's just going at it and, and trying his level best at the sermon. And he looks out to his personal family. He sees his wife, and he sees his children there. And one of his children has two licked-out communion cups placed in his eye sockets, and he's looking around at the crowd, <laughs> at the crowd with two, looking through two communion cups. And he said, I wanted to just die in that pulpit at that moment. Okay, that happens. That's real. I've been preaching before, and Stone has been having a bad day. And when I'm preaching, Stone comes and walks up to the pulpit to stand beside me. Uh, what do you do in that situation when your child has a moment that, that they need you, Daddy? They need you. What are you going to do? Uh, are you going to be consumed in grief and consumed with embarrassment? Or are you going to stop ministering to other people and look to your children and minister to them first? That's our obligation. But man manipulating our children to behave and, th and that being driven by fear, you will do this and you will obey and you will thus and, th thus and such. And if you don't, I'll, I'll punish you so, uh, so awful you won't be able to breathe, okay? A well-behaved child is not the same thing as a discipled child. While the Bible has a lot to say about godly behavior, and absolutely obedience is as important of any other discipleship thing, okay, discipleship attribute, behavioral modification is not our main goal. Preacher, listen to me. We do this in our preaching, and we do this in, in discipling our children. It's far too easy to raise a Pharisee. It's far too easy to raise a child who knows and follows the rules of God, but whose heart is far from him. It's far too easy to have our children parrot the five steps of salvation, but to never know Jesus. Okay, In our preaching, we do this. What we do is we, we command orders and we bark orders and because it's so hard and it's difficult to actually get on the level of human beings to sit with them as Jesus did, to weep with them as Jesus did, and minister to them and change their hearts. It's easier to command orders than it is to change hearts. And so what do we do? We take the easy way out. We don't weep over individuals who are struggling with sin. We just bark more orders at them. Behave, behave, behave. That's not going to work. It's not going to work in Christendom. It's not going to work in our home. It's a lie, and it's a farce, and it's Phariseeism. And far too many preachers and their families have done that. Far too many preachers are preaching that, and no wonder their families resent them. We want our kids to be obedient to God, not because they are intimidated by Him or by us, but because they genuinely love obedience, and they trust God's love and care for them. See, family discipleship pursues sincere heart change in children, Our kids need to be taught that God loves them beyond their deserving, and God loves them beyond their obedience, and God loves them, and that, and that in his love is what brings about the obedience, and that obedience breeds joy. Family discipleship is not a way to get your children to behave, and it's not your way to, it, 
it's family discipleship is not a way to raise popular kids or those kids that are just going to compete and do so well in their centurions of scripture by the age of eight in the last leaders program. Okay, that's that's that your your son and your daughter's faith is not going to impress the world. Your children will be hated because of who your God is and what he is like. Mark thirteen thirteen, John fifteen nineteen. You need to raise up your children with a ready and distinct difference from their peers, that they are righteously abnormal. So in a lot of ways, that's the opposite of our natural inclination in how to raise children. Raising kids who are ready to be hated means raising kids who unashamedly love God, even in the face of loathing and an alienation. You are raising children. You're raising kids who will hopefully pursue generosity over comfort, righteousness over acceptance, selflessness over self-esteem, for Christ's sake. And it's not a strategy to raise popular kids, and it's not a strategy to be an admired parent, okay? Your identity is rooted in being a child of God, not a parent of your child. This is not about finding affirmation and the affection or the admiration of other people. This is not about building your personal legacy or making your junior versions of yourself. Family discipleship shapes children into the image of Christ, not the image of their mama or their daddy. Family discipleship is not always appealing. It's not. It really isn't. Sometimes you're going to have to be the parent. You're going to have to be God in this picture. You're going to have to be the Holy Spirit's work in this picture on the lives of your children, just as much as the Holy Spirit works on your personal soul and your personal life. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, for the moment of all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but that, but later, what does it do? It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. For kids, authority, training, regulations, all of that can seem adversarious, you know. Uh, it could seem like an adversary to freedom and to pleasure. But, fellas, we gotta we got to help our children understand that this is the most important thing and that what we're doing is the way that God has shaped and molded us. So that's the, that's the reality. This job is yours, and it's mine. And the Lord has given you this assignment, and he can equip you for it, and he is not going to forsake you in it. And there are a lot of parents that are consumed because they are not, John fifteen five, realizing that they themselves can't do it and that they need Jesus to do this. They have to have Jesus to do this. Making disciples, let me let me say this and then we'll end. Making disciples at home is not one more thing to add to your list of parental tasks, okay? It is the thing. It is the primary mission. And calling that should really undergird every single interaction for your family and that you have very much, uh, very much been placed and very fortunate to have. So here's our prayer. Lord, <laughs> lead us and lead me as I lead my children. Help me not to lead um, these children into temptation as you don't lead me into temptation. Lord, deliver me from evil and deliver them from evil. That's our prayer. It absolutely is. But help us to transform our minds and our wills to you uh, he's not going to lead us into temptation. He's not going to lead our children into temptation. But just as much as he did his child in the wilderness, the Holy Spirit took Jesus into that wilderness for testing. You and I need to do the same. 
uh, as we are led into this world for testing, our children are going to be led into this world for testing. May may family discipleship be um, the most ordinary thing that you do in your home. Uh, help them understand. I know some folks that have a sit-down Bible study for 30, 45 minutes, plan Bible time with their kids every single day. And if you can do that, wonderful. Family discipleship is organic, and it looks different for every single person. Your children need to know that Deuteronomy 6 passage. That needs to be the heartbeat. You need to have a, a when it comes to raising your children and parenting as a preacher, uh, you, you absolutely uh, need to minister in a way that is natural not fixed and rigid. Okay, it can feel that way at first. I, I get that. I understand that, especially if you're not used to it. But but it needs to become organic. It needs to become natural. Just as much as it is with you, with your Lord, it needs to become with you and your children and their Lord. So our prayer is that as we minister, we're not just ministering to people. We're not just preaching to people. We're ministering to our families. Paul said, I have to practice these things that I preach. Otherwise, I myself will be cast away. I'll be shipwrecked. Uh, Jake has to take care of Jake, and then Jake has an obligation to take care of Stone. May God help me, and may God help you in the family discipleship model that he's given to me that I can give to my child.